Good morning. Yeah, it's good to be here with uh, you, and if you're a guest with us especially, uh, welcome. We're really glad that you are here with us today. My name is Nathan Hinkle. I'm the campus pastor at White Oaks Ross Township Campus. And actually, if, you are, if you're a guest with us today, or if you're new here, uh, next Sunday, October 6th, at this time at 1030, we're going to do something new for those of you who are new uh, or guests with us called Meet the Pastor. So I will be leading that. We'll be in a classroom like, like right through this wall um, here at 1030. It's called Meet the Pastor. I'll be there. Um, there's going to be some good food there. Um, let you um, ask some questions. I'll share a little bit about me, a little bit about White Oak. Um, and then you can just kind of, you know, very informally, you can kind of help me with questions. We'll just talk about um, a little bit about White Oak and maybe even how you could get connected if you like. So um, you can sign up for that online on our app or on your connection card. We are trying to limit the number of spa spaces so the group stays a little small. And I was told that it's already almost full, which is awesome. So um, you can sign up today. Hopefully we'll squeeze you in and I'll, I'll squeeze you in. All right. All right, just bring me cookies, and I'll make sure you get in. Um, so that's, that's, that's next Sunday. So we are in, I don't even know, our fourth week, I think, of the book of Romans, all right? Now, we've been looking at this New Testament letter, the book of Romans in the New Testament of our Bible, and it was written to the Jesus followers in the city of Rome, okay? These are some of the things we've talked about. I'm catching some of you up. If you haven't been around, um, th this is what we've been doing. All right. We've been looking at this letter. It was written by Paul, okay? and probably the first century's greatest theologian and church planter. Okay? He writes this letter to the house churches in Rome. So the churches were scattered throughout the city, meeting in people's homes, all right? small, intimate gatherings of people, where this letter would be passed around from location to location, where it would be read out loud. People would have questions, and they would kind of dialogue about what they heard. They would worship, sing, I take communion like we will here in a little bit, and they do all that stuff. Okay, so this is the context of where this is happening. So this letter is reaching two different groups of people, okay? And this might be familiar to some of you. What you have mixed in this church, in these churches, are Roman Christians, people who have left paganism and, 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 and claim Christ as their God, all right? Jesus as their God. And then you have your Jewish Christians, those who have been um, following the Old Testament, the Torah, the Old Testament scriptures, and now who claim Jesus as Savior and King. And you have these two people that, that, that are in these churches together. And Paul's letter to the Romans is attempting to address a, 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 a fracture that's happening there. Because both groups of people have to come together in the church, putting aside their past cultural beliefs or their past religious standards. And now they have to come together under one banner, the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is all that matters. And Paul says, you've got to set this aside. Everything else has to be set aside except for Jesus. And Paul says, when you do, not only will you and your families, those of you in the church, experience the best abundant life that God has to offer you, this full life that Jesus has talked about. Not only will you experience that only when you come under the banner of Jesus, but those around us, those in our city, those in our homes, those in this empire who don't know Jesus, who are lost hopelessly without him, you will shine like a light for them too. All right? So before we jump into Romans chapter 6 today, I would like to go ahead and uh, pray with you, and we're just going to ask God just to be here in this time with us this morning. So let's pray. God, um, we're, <laughs> just to read, your, to read your word is sometimes overwhelming. 
But God, I, I, I thank you that you give it to us in pieces like this. Pieces that we can just digest and hear. And God, so I pray that you would open our hearts and our eyes this morning. Um, those of us who are followers of you and those of us who aren't sure that we even want to be and everybody in the middle, God, I just pray that, that all of us, our hearts and our ears would be open because God, you have something to teach us. Something today that we didn't know or we thought we did, but we really don't. And, you, and there's, a, there's a work you want to do in us. So open us up to it, Father, today. Um, we trust you, and I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So before we jump into chapter 6, I want to encourage you to keep reading through Romans. And we've been talking to, whether it's in your life group, whether it's you before work or on your lunch break or, or you know, right after school, whether it's with your family, I don't care how you do it, that you would be reading through the book of Romans. So you're just kind of ingesting some of this stuff. So when we unpack it here on Sunday mornings, um, there'll be some familiarity with the word and what God's already kind of been doing on your heart even up to this point. So we're going to dive into Romans chapter 6 today. If you don't have a Bible, we have some at the hub. There's that blue curtained area. When you leave, it'll be on your right. Grab one from there because we want you to have some. We want you to be in this. All right, this is where Paul has been, and this is our big idea for today. It sounds a little weird, but it's I am not dead. It's on the front of your program. I am not dead. I am not dead. We're going to get to that in a minute, and you'll see this, this is the theme that's throughout Romans 6 especially. Paul has been spending much of the first five chapters of Romans, all right, keying in on one important point, outlining one principle, and that is faith is what saves, all right? Now, hear that. He took five chapters, and he'll take the rest of Romans to say it too. Faith is what saves you. Faith is what makes you right with God. No matter what your background is, okay, no matter what, no matter how good or bad you are at following rules, okay, no matter what you believe about God, here's the thing, this is what Paul says, whatever you practiced or believe about God, it doesn't matter. The only thing that saves you is Jesus, okay? Trying to be a good person, trying to kind of just earn some points to impress God, he says it's useless. We've all done it, but Paul says it doesn't get you anywhere, all right? Religious people and non-religious people are all in the same boat here. We all only are made right with God because of one name. That is Jesus and our faith in that person. That's it. Five chapters he takes to make that point. All right? Attempting to obey your way to God leads to failure, sin, and death. Trusting in Jesus is the only thing that saves us and makes us right with God. Now, in Romans 6, you're going to see a pivot point. Romans chapter 6, Paul begins to pivot, and he's going to address a question that you and I have asked many times, and that is where, this is where he goes. He answers this question, how do I live in light of what I know? He takes five chapters to say, it's nothing about what you've done or who you are or what you do, what your background is. It's only faith. So then in 6, he begins to pivot, and he says, so now that you know that, so we're all on that boat, because I just told you, okay? Now that, we're all, now that we all know it's faith only in Jesus that saves you, Paul's going to answer the question, so how do I live in light of what I know? How do I live faith? I believe. So what does that look like as it manifests itself in my spiritual journey, all right? Paul's going to answer the question in Romans chapter 6 by um, answering another question. All right, so Romans chapter 6, verse 1, listen to what he says. Well then, 
Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Now, it's an odd question. So what we have to assume in this context is this is an assumed practice. There's a rumor going around the church in Rome, and the rumor says this, okay? There's a rumor that's going around in the church of Rome, and it says that since God's grace is so big and so wonderful, since he loves us so deeply, and all I have to do is simply believe and put my faith, right, in Jesus— then it must not matter if I sin. In fact, isn't it true, Paul, that the more I sin, the more credit and glory that God gets? That was the thought process. Now, that sounds a little crazy, but it also sounds really good, doesn't it? So I can, let's say, you know, I have a problem with the things that I say. I have a problem with my mouth, completely hypothetical, of course, but let's just say that I did, all right, all right? I have a problem with my mouth. So, so the Christians in Rome were thinking, okay, but it doesn't really matter what I say about you or about them or to you because if I say something rude or, or demeaning or if I curse, like, that's just highlighting God's greatness. Isn't that wonderful? That's what, that's what the question is, all right? That's what the question is. It just makes God look more good, okay? So if I, dis- teenagers, if, if you disobey your parents, if you just completely, probably we don't have them in here, but if you're a teenager who ever disrespects your parents, all right, good news, keep on doing it, all right? Because every time you disobey or disrespect your parents, you're just pointing to God as being so, so good, all right? So th- this is, this is what's, what happens in this mindset. It sounds crazy, but this is where they were. My addictions can k- keep on getting fed. Um, my selfishness can keep on serving me. Um, I can ignore the needs of the poor or marginalized. I mean, I realize it's important to serve the poor and give, but the truth is I'd rather be selfish. It's easier to be selfish, and it's okay that I am because every missed opportunity I have to love someone else the way that I should— it just points to how much better God is than me. Amen. Amen, right? And this is kind of, this is the context of, of, of what Paul's dealing with, right? As, as long as God's getting the glory, I really can do anything that I want, and we're okay. There was this um, couple in Pennsylvania, you may have heard this, I don't know how recent it happened, their bank accidentally deposited $120,000 into their bank account. Did you read that? Did you see, hear this? Right? Um, their bank account had like 1,200 bucks in it first, and then they look at the statement, and the bank made a mistake and deposited 120 grand in the bank account. So what would you do if that happened to you? Fifth, third, just deposited 120. What would you do? They spent it, all of it, all right? Quickly. Now, I don't know how far $120,000 goes, and I never will in my entire life, but... I, but listen to what they did with it. They must, I don't know. They, they, these people are good. They put a down payment on an SUV. They bought a camper, a car trailer, a race car. I don't know what even that means. Um, and two four-wheelers. You've got to be practical, okay? They also paid off some debt. And this is, this is the kicker. They gave some money to some needy friends. So they're not all bad, <laughs> all right? So it was three weeks later the bank realized that they had made the mistake, contacted the couple, and said, hey, you owe us $120,000. All right, so the police got involved, and, and the couple ended up admitting in the, in the interview. They said, yeah, we knew from the start the money wasn't ours, but we spent it anyway. 
all right? So it turns out now they're being arraigned in federal court, all right, federal court for um, felony charges of theft and receiving stolen property, all right? That's where it landed them. Now, I think that's kind of unfair because I feel like uh, it doesn't matter, but um, so, so, so the idea is, like, if I just keep on doing my thing, everything's going to be okay. If I just keep doing whatever I want, whatever feels right, the end result is I will craft a way to experience the best version of my life. And we're really good at that, aren't we? I'm going to experience the fullest version, the most abundant version of life on my own. Here's Paul's response in verse 2 to this idea. He says, of course not, right? Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? And so what Paul's going to do throughout chapter 6 is lay out this continuum for us of what does it look like for you and I to live out faith. And the first thing, the first point he makes is that we're dead. And you're going to see this, him use this phrase or this word of death or dead a lot in chapter 6. We're dead. We all die. Okay, it's science. Ask anyone you know, and they'll tell you, eventually, you'll, you're going to die. All of us will. And Paul makes the argument that spiritually speaking, we're all dead already. Spiritually speaking, you're dead already. You've broken, a, you've broken a relationship with God who is perfect, and your sin has tarnished it, whether you call it sin or not. Your sin has broken this relationship with God, and Paul says that kills us spiritually now. You can't work your way out of this reality. You can't earn your way. You can't good your way out of it. You can't like attend church your way out of it. You can't pray your way out of it. Spiritually speaking, we're dead because we're sinners. And Paul says, and that's just the truth. In fact, he says this in verse 12 about this, this death that sin has brought into our lives. Look at verse 12. He says, do not let sin control the way that you live. Do not give it in to your sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument for evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were what? You were dead, but now you have new life. See, our nature is to die. We can't help it. We can't help it. The Romans who, and, and the Jews who were reading this letter, they had a past just like you and I have. They had a past of religious indifference, which some of you have. Some of us have. You came here this morning with it. Eh, church, God, Jesus, I don't care. It's fine. It's fine that you feel that way. And I'm glad you're here. But you come with a past. And many of us came through the doors this morning with a past, just like these guys did. They're reading the letter for the first time of this religious try hard at itness, right? And if I show up a certain amount of time, and if I could just do this and check this box, then I'm not dead, but you, but you are. It's, it's with you. You're, you're dead. And some of us came with things that, we, that our past religious experiences gave to us and amplified in us, and that is shame. And you came with a background of guilt or shame. And Paul's point was this. You used to be dead in your sin. You were hopeless. You were gone. And there's nothing you could do about it. 
And you think, well, yeah, okay. But it's true for us. Because even those of us who are followers of Jesus, who have been regenerated in, in, in Christ, I mean, we will lie and cheat our way ahead of someone else, and we'll do it tomorrow. Either to get ahead of someone else or to not get in trouble with someone. We'll lust after people that we are not married to. Right? We, we, we do that. We'll choose ourselves. We'll choose things. We'll choose other things over the needs of other people. Over people, you and I, and we're so good at this because we live here so well. We'll choose self. We'll choose things over people every day of the week. We've taken our own path, and we see, to, we see different paths. We see options, but we will carve out what we believe is the best version of life that we can come up with. And now it ends, we get here every time, but we think we can avoid it. And so we follow our own path when it comes to sex. We follow our own path when it comes to priorities. We follow our own path when it comes to money. But ultimately, it all leads here. So this is true for us, too. Every culture on the face of the planet for human history has known that about our, themselves. Do you? Every culture, and I don't care where you go in the world, what continent, any place in history, human nature knew that we had a broken relationship with our creator. You can call him God, you could call it gods, different cultures, different people have had their version of God, all right? And that's why you will see people throughout history built temples and altars. Because human beings knew, we knew in our nature that there was a creator of some sort and that we weren't worthy to communicate and, and, and commune with him. And so people for centuries, for millennia, have built temples because they thought if we could build this place, we know that we're dead. But if we could build this place that maybe we could come and meet God, yeah, he would come here and we could maybe go into this holy place that maybe we could bump up against God and somehow we might be in touch with him. And that's why people groups have built holy places and temples and altars. Uh, altars have been part of almost every human civilization. It's something that we can do for our deity, for our God, right? Whether it's we bring an animal or we bring fruit or we brought our children or our enemies that we captured from war and we will slaughter them on an altar in hopes that that blood would somehow cover my sin in hopes that something, that someone could take my place because we all knew that we're separated from God. And so for all of human history, We've come up with temples and altars and holy places, try, knowing our frailty, knowing our sin, trying as we might to connect with God. And it never worked. It never finished it. It still left us here. And Paul's point is, he says, you were dead. We're dead. And that's how it used to be. says, but, but then Jesus came along. Because remember, he's talking to a, a, a group of, of Jesus followers at this point. He's talking to the church. And he said, but you died with Jesus, right? You used to be here. But then you died with somebody who's worth dying for, worth dying with. And you died with Jesus. 
So he continues this progression of faith. He's outlining for them where they used to be and where they are now and where they're headed. And the next thing he says is, you die with Jesus. That's what makes you right with God because you have an option. And you and I still have the same option that they had 2,000 years ago. Now, we can either die in our sin because everybody who's ever lived, you're not special, I'm not special, recognize that we're sinners and we're far from God. You can either die in your sin or you can die to your sin with Jesus. You can die to it. And he's the only one that can do it. So we have an option. All right, that's what Paul says. Look what it says in verse 3, okay? He's going to remind them of something. He says, or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. I love how Paul uses baptism as this illustration. And and now, I don't know if you were here last week, um, but we had four baptisms. We usually set it up right here, this trough. We filled it full of water, and there were four people who gave their life to Jesus last week, right? They said, I believe, and they submitted to baptism. And Paul says, listen, here's the deal. And he's talking to this group of people. He says, you know the story? Jesus Christ proved himself to be the Son of God. And he went to the cross, and he died there. He took all of your sin." All of your dirtiness, all of the distance and this gap that you felt between you and God, Jesus took it on himself and he died on the cross in your place. Everybody knows he died. No one disputes that anymore. And then Paul says, and miraculously, he went into the grave and he was there three days. And then Paul says, and I know this is crazy to believe, but I've seen him alive. And so have his 12 disciples and so did the women who followed him. In fact, 500 other people were told were eyewitness to Jesus had walked out of the grave alive. In fact, Paul had encountered himself, the risen Jesus. And Paul says, I've seen it. He's alive. He's alive to new life. And he uses this, this symbol of baptism. And, and I don't know where you are, if, if you've put your faith in Jesus or if you've surrendered to baptism as a believing person, as a person who owns your faith, who can say the words, I believe in Jesus. My faith is in Jesus. And if you've been baptized, if you've gone into the water, Paul says, you have died with Jesus. It's like you died and went into the grave just like he did. And when you come out of that water, you raise to new life just like he did. And so he, he paints this picture of baptism, death, burial, and new life. Death, burial, and new life. And God takes the old you in baptism. It's a mystery. And he changes you. And then he gives you your life back. It's still you, but you're different. You have power. You have, you have a purpose. You've been regenerated. You've died with Jesus, and you've been set free from the power of sin. Paul says, don't forget that. So I say to you, if you have ever made the decision to be baptized at some point in your life, don't forget the decision you made. And don't ever forget the power that you have. Because you believed.
You were dead, Paul says. But you died with Jesus. So he continues this progression. Experience death in Jesus so that you can experience Jesus' life. Now here's the problem. Is that many of us, followers of Jesus, we've gotten really good at faking our deaths. Now hear me on this. We've gotten really good at faking our own death. I was reading this article. It's kind of dark, but I hope you see a little bit of the, <laughs> the humor in it. This guy that interviewed some experts on how, like, how to fake your own death. I don't know if you've ever, any of you ever thought of it. Um, typically, people decide to fake their own deaths when they're trying to get out of like, a financial obligation, um, you know, like a, getting away from a crime, or maybe getting out of a relationship, and they didn't know how else to do it. All right. Um, so, so this is typically what happens. And so this guy interviews some experts and say, you know, what's the best way? So I found three ways, this guy says, of, of if you want to successfully fake your own death. All right. Um, and I hope this isn't the only thing you remember from today. But if it is, then you didn't hear it here. All right. It says three don'ts when it comes to faking your own death. He said, don't describe to conventional wisdom. He said, the pesky thing, the biggest challenge of faking your own death is the, pe- the teensy problem of your body. That's what he says. So he says, you might want to consider faking a drowning, right? He says, wrong. In most instances, the body is recovered. And then he says, and you'll never, be, you'll never go hiking and thinking it the same way again. He says, hiking is the way to go. That's what he says. He says, people disappear hiking all the time, legitimately. So that's a great way to disappear. So he says, park your car, throw the keys in it, and walk away. That's the best way to do it. All right? He also says this. He says, don't Google yourself. Now, some of you would be terrible at faking your own death. There was this guy, he said, it's tempting to do it. There was this guy who, after breaking up with his girlfriend and filing bankruptcy, um, attempted to disappear on a fishing trip. Um, The problem is private private investigators were hired, and it was discovered that they were noticed like this centralized cluster of IP addresses originating near Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. And this dude was Googling himself constantly reading articles about his disappearance. So they honed in on it, and they found him, all right? So don't Google yourself if this is where you plan, what you plan to do. The, the, la- the last one, and this is probably comforting, is don't assume a fake identity. So don't try to change your name. And this is what they said, legally speaking, okay? If you don't file a police report or death certificate making it look like you're deceased, you have violated no law. He's, he says, except for maybe that of good taste. Um, promoting the idea that you have met an untimely end when in fact you are lazing beside a beach, uh, paying for your daiquiris with a suitcase full of cash is perfectly legal. So, um, so it's not illegal to disappear. It's just illegal to actually file paperwork that you died. All right. So there is some hope for some of you who are hoping to get out. Um, there's a problem here because Many of us have been doing this for a long, long time. And there are people that sit in church every Sunday. There are people who have assumed a new identity and a new name, and we've put Christian as our name. But yet we've just been faking our own deaths all along. Because we've really never done this. Now, don't mishear me. Okay, so don't mishear me. You can have faith. You can believe in Jesus. 
and still very much be alive to yourself and not dead with him. And there's many of us who have maybe, maybe have lived that version of belief for years of doing the right things, right? obeying religious obligations, and we are very good at it. But we've been, we've been calling it this, but we've been hoping to get the best version of life right here. We may have a different name. We may call it something different. But in your heart, you've been banking on the fact that the best version of this life is found right here. And so we can go to church and we can take communion. And still very much be alive to ourselves and not dead with Christ. And, what, and, and some of the things that you have to ask, we have to ask ourselves, those of us who are followers of Jesus, who have been regenerated and reborn in the waters of baptism through faith, we have to ask ourselves a question. You ask yourself, do you ever talk about Jesus? I mean, do you talk about him to other people? Do you talk to him? I mean, is he, is he constantly on your mind? Let me ask you this. Are you ever vulnerable with other people? Do you ever sit down with someone and say, listen, let me just share with you where I struggle. And I'm not talking about struggle like I sleep through my alarm clock. I'm talking about like sin. Like this is where, this is where, my, this is where my heart hurts. This is where, this is where I just, I, I don't feel like I'm getting it done. This is the sin problem I have. Do you ever, do you ever share that with anybody? Are, are you ever vulnerable or is it just, a, is it just kind of a mask? See, I think, I, I think there's a lot of us out there. There's a lot of us out there who claim to be living here, but we haven't died with him. We've been clinging on to life and calling our own shots. And Paul says, don't you remember? Like Jesus has regenerated your heart. And you're missing it. He's called you son. He's called you daughter. And he said, I am a, you're, I'm your good, good father. I'm a good dad. And I have wonderful things in store for you. Things you could never get when you lived here, when you were dead. And I don't want anybody to miss it. That's what Paul said. He's pleading with us in verse 8. Look when he's pleading with his readers. He says, and since you died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. Right? We're sure of this because Christ, and he will never die again. Listen, the proof of this, the proof that your dad loves you, that your heavenly dad loves you, that he has the best life in store for you, is not found in your religious obligations and what you believe about him and how, what good of a person you are, how bad of a person you are, or what your past is. The proof that your heavenly father has what's best for you in every arena of your life, the proof of it is when Jesus walked out of the grave alive. 
Paul says, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. You can't earn your way to that. You can't fake your way to that. You can be sure that that's true. You have assurance. And Paul says, listen, this, this, is, the, this is where you are now. This is where you are now. You used to be here. And then you met Jesus. And he transformed you. He killed sin. And now you have new life. The same life he lives, the same new life he lives, that's your life now too. Paul said at the beginning when we read, he said, we died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Paul's saying it's virtually impossible once you have been regenerated to ever go back. Your only way forward is here. There's three things I want to share with you as we uh, start to close this morning. God has, as, as your dad, as my dad in heaven, he's got the best version of life, a full, abundant version of life. And this new life looks like, looks like three things that I see in Romans so far in the first six chapters. I'm going to share that with you really, really quickly. Okay, this new life looks like three things. And I see this in the first six chapters of Romans. One is that Jesus has broke the power of sin in your life and mine. Sin can't win anymore. It's impossible. That thing that you've been struggling with, you, you know what it is. That dark place that you have in your heart, quit. Quit taking it to the temple of try hard. Quit taking it to the altar of guilt and shame or indifference. For thousands of years of human history, that has never worked, and you aren't that special for it to work for you. You have been released from sin. It no longer has power over you. The second thing that I see in this is that Jesus' new life brought glory to God. And so when we've been regenerated by the actions of our Savior, Jesus, we have this new life. And this new life exists to bring glory to God. That's what Paul said. This new life exists to bring glory to our Father in heaven. And so that's what we're to do with this new life that God has given us through faith like, that's our job now. Like, that's your job, is to bring glory to our Father. And the things that you do, and the things that you say, and in every arena of your life, and so when you're with your friends at school, when you're at work, when you're in your home, when you're hanging out with your neighbors, this is your job. To make God's name famous. Everywhere you go, that the name of God, that the name of Jesus is made more famous because you were there, you spoke into it. That's a job. You've been released from the power of sin and released to bring glory to God. 
And then something happens that Paul actually talks about in chapters one and two. And then you will be a light. Because I know from movies and stuff, we have this image of what Rome, the Roman Empire must have been in the first century. Murder, chaos, war, death. Horrible time to live in human history. The plague, I mean, you name it, it's horrible. It's such a violent, chaotic period in human history. But it's far worse now. And Paul says that you will live as a light to the people in your homes, to the people in your school, to the people who you play sports with, to the people you work with. That when you discover this and this, you will be a light to the people in this dark, violent, chaotic world. That's what faith does. So we're going to go to a time of reflection, and I want to leave you with this question. And I struggled with this question. Have you died with Jesus? Have you made the decision to die with him? This will get you nowhere. This will get you everywhere. Have you died with Jesus or have you just been putting on an elaborate ruse? Claiming to do this, but hoping to get the best out of your life over here. Our Heavenly Father loves us. He loves you so desperately. And he's good, so he wants to give you good things in your life. So I'm going to ask those of you who have not ever made the decision to follow Jesus, I'm going to encourage you to ask, this self of you, to ask yourself this, do you believe? Could you simply believe and surrender to baptism and be more, born into new life? And if you haven't, if you've not made that decision ever, I'm just going to challenge you to think on that. And you can write that in on your connection card and we'll follow up with you. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are here today and you're a Christian, I'm just going to ask you in a minute, you know, Brooke's going to keep playing. She's just going to play for about a minute. I'm just going to ask you to do this simple but profound thing. Would you just repent would you just talk to your Heavenly Father and repent? And just say, Jesus, I, I, I've died with you, but I haven't died to pornography. I've died with you, but I haven't died to greed and selfishness. Like, I died with you, but I'm still sexually active with somebody I'm not married to. Jesus, I died with you, but I will talk about anybody behind their back given any opportunity. Jesus, I died with you, but I feel angry all the time. Can you just tell him that? He can handle it. He already has. We have a good dad. 
And you are a son and daughter of a good father in heaven. And when we die with Jesus, we are not dead. I am not dead.